the CRO Spotlight Podcast, powered by the Sales IQ Network. Hi, and welcome to the CRO Spotlight Podcast. I'm Warren Zeno from the CRO Collective, and I'm here with my co-host, Lupe Feld. Hey, Lupe. Hey, Warren. This is Lupe Feld, and I'm glad to be here with you. So this podcast is really for aspiring CROs and CEOs and current CROs whom are interested in learning from not only us, but the great guests that we're going to have. We're here to tell you that there's other areas of the business that can drive revenue, and we're going to look and inspect and come up with some great ideas for us to bring in as much revenue as we can and drive some meaningful change for the business. So tune in. We have some exciting opportunities coming up for really amazing conversations and any B2B leaders, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So thanks for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you. All right. Hello and welcome to the next episode of the CRO Spotlight Podcast. Hi, Lupe. How you doing? Hi, Warren. Doing really well today. Thank you. Great. Great. Again, it's Warren Zena and Lupe Feld. Together, we discuss all things Chief Revenue Officer. And uh, we have a great guest today. Really, really happy to have this gentleman on with us. John Honaini from Australia. From Australia. Revenue operations. Yes, exactly. A, 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 a superstar, a revenue operations pro- professional. And we're going to have a really good conversation. So thank you for being here today. I'm just going to read off your, your bio quickly, okay? And you can expound on it a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, sure, sure. So having spent over a decade leading product, marketing, and sales teams in media, technology, and telecommunications, Sirkan now leads the revenue team at Certain, that's C-E-R-T-N. Recognized as a growth expert, he is an award-winning marketer and researcher. A serial entrepreneur, in 2017, he co-founded Catch Consultants, which has transformed the lives of over 400 youth in sub-Saharan Africa through democratized access to training and paid jobs. Beyond this, he's also a dedicated father to rainbow twin boys, and like many people, he's just trying to be the most present parent and partner he can be. Welcome. Great, great bio. I'm really interested to hear more about this stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Certain first and what your revenue role within Certain kind of entails? What, what do you focus on? Yeah, absolutely. So Certain, Certain is a background screening company. So we, we do background checks, i.e. KYC, know your customer, know your employee. And we like to think of ourselves as the tech forward operator within the background screening industry. We've all probably gone through background checks a couple of times. And amongst friends, I could say that background checks are not pleasant. I mean, they suck. The experience is not pleasant at all. It's, it's full of so much friction. And if you, if you think about you know, the recruitment process today, you might go through a, a culture interview, then a technical interview, then you might meet an executive in the organization. You'll get an offer letter. You know, the employer will say, we love you. The employee will say, we love you too. And then we'll say, well, we don't trust you. You've got to do this background check. And, and that process today is, is full of so much it's, friction. It's You're getting so true. To, yeah, it's so true. It's great. Different, it's great. Different, different contact centers, pushing paper-based forms around. And, and we, do, we do certain dozen minutes what, what, what others take weeks to, to, to deliver. So we've got smart workflows, which mean background checks are delivered almost instantly. So take the frictional out of that out of that recruitment process and we've we've got plans to almost eliminate that process altogether in the new future which is which is really exciting as far as my role i the chief revenue officer so i lead i lead the revenue revenue function and within that function we've got sales marketing customer success and 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 revenue operations we're about five years old as as an as an organization gone through all the kind of 
3x year on year venture venture growth. Just closed our Series B, which is exciting. What I'm most proud about, though, at certain is we just had the industry NPS results or net promoter score results released by G2. And whilst our competitors are all kind of low to single digits, certain had a, an industry NPS of plus 86. So by far and away, kind of category breaking when it comes to the onboarding experience surrounding surrounding background screening for for employees. So that's that's something I'm kind of really, really excited about. The other kind of nuance is I'm in Australia. So I'm in Australia and I lead the revenue function of an organization that doesn't have customers or revenue in Australia, which is probably unique, but we're changing that soon, which is which is part of why I was brought in. So yeah, I'll pause there and see if you have any questions. That's great. And so being that you're in Australia and leading an organization that's based in Canada, has operations in the US and the UK, and maybe soon to have some in Australia, how how do you manage the time zones in in you know the different territories? I think that's just an interesting kind of uh, juggling act to begin with, right? Yeah, I think anyone who's who's had a global leadership role will tell you that probably they don't do it as well as they they could. And the other thing I'd say is balance is is always going to be inherent inherently relative. Like I start my days at five a.m. every day, five a.m. and I finish my days at one one or two p.m. But I have young twin boys; they're two years old, and that means the time that's most valuable to me—the afternoons and the evenings—I get with them, and it's uninterrupted. And everyone in Canada and the U.S. is sleeping, and it's perfect for me because it's 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 just family time. And so so that so that works well for me. It's eight eighteen a.m. here. I've already had a board call. I've reset investor expectations in terms of H two revenue forecasts. I've reviewed marketing collateral. I've reviewed an acquisition we're making in Australia and I've taken my kids to, to daycare and it's 20 past eight in the morning. So that sort of routine works works well for, for me. And as far as the UK stuff and like, you know, often we say internally, Canada, Australia, the UK, pick two. So you're never going to align all time zones. But for me, I, you know, I make a habit of of putting all of my kind of UK meetings on Monday evenings. So I'm only working one evening and not every, every evening and, and try to be quite disciplined about that. And that and that works quite well. So I think I think routines are are are, are important, and also knowing what what you're prepared to compromise on and what your colleagues aren't prepared to compromise on is is important as well. That's 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 great advice. Good takeaways. Yeah, I too have had many international roles, and and jug, juggling the time zones is is always fun. But I like the discipline of one day. So I'm going to steal that one and take that away for for the future. So. Let's talk about your journey to becoming a CRO. You know, it's, I think it'll be interesting to hear kind of your past responsibilities and your background and, and how you arrived to be kind of the owner of Revenue. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, and it is a little bit different because I, I, I listened to a few of your episodes and, and a number of, of, number of my industry peers look like they've come through from sales leadership roles. So, and I've got quite a different, different background. So, you know, commerce undergrad, so finance and accounting. And in Australia, if you're a commerce undergrad, you go through the loops of different internships around accounting or investment banking or consulting. I chose consulting as, as my eventual career path. I wasn't a very good consultant. I still don't think I'm a good consultant. And and I say that because I, I, I tend to quit. I, I tend to prefer owning the outcomes as opposed to advising on the outcomes. And I get quite frustrated when 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 I, I, I don't see action taken on those outcomes. So I've resigned to the fact that I'll never make a good consultant. And every time I try and do it, I end up unhappy. So, so I won't do that again. But from consulting, I jumped across to, to one of my clients, which was Telstra. Telstra is probably the AT&T equivalent or Verizon equivalent in, 
in, in Australia. Um, I was fortunate enough to have the chief marketing officer at Telstra take me under his wing and and put me in a couple of senior marketing positions quite quite early, one of which was B2B marketing, which involved a whole bunch of demand generation and and thought leadership. And this was, you know, almost a decade ago where the the relative contribution of say digital pay-per-click was was limited. So you had to work a lot harder as a marketer to get key decision makers to to the table. I'm talking about, you know, thought leadership events with you know, your former president, Bill Clinton, or former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan, where you're bringing, creating kind of money can't buy experiences to get decision makers from government to the government to the table. So you're working a lot harder to create top line, top of funnel awareness and consideration for, for your brand. From, from a couple of different marketing roles, I moved into product management. And there's a lot of nuances into, in, in what product management is. Product management, a lot of tech companies feels like product development, where you own a a roadmap and you coordinate engineers. Product management in telco, you're the CEO of your product. And this is this is where I think there's a lot of alignment between a product manager in that sense and what a CRO would do because you're really coordinating ownership of the PL. You've got the technical side, which is the experience you're delivering to the customers, the roadmap attached to it. You've got your sales channels, direct and indirect, that you're you kind of own. You've got your marketing contribution. And it's almost like you are accountable for everything, but actually responsible for nothing, which is in many instances, similar to a CRO. So you've got to create alignment and you've got to create influence. So ran a few different products at Telstra. It, my first product was actually a $700 million P&L and I was 23 years old, I had no idea what I was doing. And it was it was a cable TV product. It was a pay TV product, lowest margin, product priority 15 of 15 at Telstra. And I was able to turn that around and eventually ended up running all of, all of Telstra's media products like AT&T and Verizon. At the time, Telstra had sports rights, music rights, streaming products, IPTV products, a few different things. And then after you know almost a decade at Telstra, I jumped into what wasn't actually called a CRO role. It was called Chief Customer Officer. But effectively, the the remit was was the same. It was sales, marketing, you know, customer experience, customer success. And that was for a pay TV operator based in the Middle East. And that was, you know, a lot of fun. It was 50 markets across sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East and did that for, for just under two years. After that, took on another CRO role, selling software to the media industry and to the cable TV industry. Then And then after you know that company IPO'd, I found myself at Certain. And yeah, so I've, I've been in this role a couple of times. Along the way, I've, you know, I've started and sold my own businesses, which has been a lot of fun. And yeah, I, I, guess, I guess the key nuance I would, I would make is I, I, I've, I've never had a sales leadership role per se. I've, I've led sales teams, but I've never had a sales leadership role. I've, I've never been the one, you know, kind of day-to-day, week-to-week reviewing pipeline, shape, size, funnel, et cetera, or optimizing sales processes. I've, from an early stage in my career, been the one coordinating marketing, sales, customer experience, customer success to deliver revenue objectives for for an organization or for a product. I, I feel like that's almost a a better journey to be successful, like your career path. So often, you know, the CRO position tends to be kind of a glorified sales leader. And at the end of the day, that's not going to really fill and check off all the boxes under the CRO position. And so understanding the components and the pieces and facilitating and coordinating is really, I think one of our guests called it, you know, you're the orchestra leader and making sure that everybody sounds, you know, and creates beautiful music. And I think that 
that's something that your career path has enabled you to do. I also sense that there's there's a little bit of risk taking that you've done in your career, as well as good sponsorship. And you know, you mentioned somebody gave you the opportunity. How you know, if you were to give somebody advice, how do you get someone? How do you build that trust that it kind of inspires them to give you that opportunity? Because I think sometimes a lot of people are looking for, you know, that overcoming that obstacle of reaching that kind of aspired to position, but you don't have the experience and you don't, you know, necessarily haven't done the job. So how do you do that? Any any tips? Yeah, I, I think I think there's almost two two stories that I would share. The the, the first one is I kind of as I went through the various kind of consulting, accounting, banking internships as an undergrad, you know, I resigned myself to the fact that I really wanted a career in consulting. This is before I knew what consulting was, without disrespect to consultants. And and I had the opportunity to I, I made I made a lot of effort to actually reach out to various consultants and try to have conversations with them. And and I, I remember there was one in, in in particular that that I connected with. I got his contact details, Roger. Roger, at some point maybe I'll send the link to him and he can he can listen to this. <laughs> And I, I, I kind of wrote to Roger and I said, Roger, I really want to catch up with you. I want to talk about a career in consulting. Roger came back and said, listen, mate, I'm, I'm busy. I can't, I can't really connect at this point, maybe again in the future. So I remember reaching out to Roger again, same day, Monday next week and saying, Roger, we're in the future now. I'd really love to talk to you about a career in consulting. And he came back a couple of days later and said, listen, mate, you know, I've got a new client. Telstra, where I ended up working. I'm here at 6 a.m. every morning. I just, it's, I really don't have the time to meet with you at this point. And then I went into the Telstra building and I found out the name of the cafe downstairs. And I found out the, I found out what Roger's coffee order was. And I don't remember what it was now, but I remember writing Roger a third email. I said, Roger, I'll meet you at the lobby cafe five to six on Monday morning with your coffee order ready. I just want five minutes of your time. And surprisingly, he came back and said, all right, let's do it. And that five minutes turned into three hours and that three hours turned into my first kind of first job offer in, 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 in consulting. So, so I guess that if you want something enough, you've got to be persistent. You've got to invest in the networks that, 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 that you want to succeed. It's, no, it's, it's not dissimilar to, to, to sales, I guess. And, and I think the second thing I'd say to people who are within the organization, if they're looking for sponsorship, they, then they're already in with, in an organization. And you, you've you've been on this, you know, no doubt you, you've you've been on the other side of these conversations. It is quite humbling when someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I'd really like your your time and your experience. I'd really like for you to invest in me." So so I, I'd encourage people to, to to reach out. I'd also encourage people. And what what worked for me is, you know, in any role I I, I had early in my career, I would always spend you know, two days a week for a couple of hours after work thinking about what I can do on my role and not in my role. How, how can I do this differently? How can I do this more efficiently? How can I challenge the processes that have been given to me and really rethink doing things differently? And even if if your recommendations are wrong, you're you're signaling to to your leadership that you've got the capacity to to learn and, and be agile and do things differently. So so that's a good Good, good trick or good hack in terms of getting noticed as well. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's inherently what worked for me. That's no, a, gr- a great, great story. I love that idea. And by the way, I apologize for my camera issues, but I've been listening very intently here and I have a lot to add or qu- question about some things that you mentioned, which is fascinating. I, 
the main the main thing that strikes me is, you know, not having come from a sales background, and being a chief revenue officer, right? Yeah. Because what, what you know, Lupe and I discuss here ongoing is the pipeline to the chief revenue officer role as a sales manager. It's not because it's supposed to be that way. It sort of ended up that way. And I think the industry sort of has now defaulted to that. And I'm having conversations five times a day with people who just come out of the box thinking that that's the way that they should be looking at the role. They're not necessarily wrong. But I, and we are of the belief that that actually creates some of the issues pertaining to how the role is appointed and, and managed. So what, in your view, are the benefits that you have of not having come from a sales background and being a chief revenue officer? And I guess inside of that answer is maybe even a bit of your perspective about what the CRO role actually is. I'd be curious to know how you feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I see the CRO as the owner of all the commercial functions of the business. Like the CRO needs to orchestrate and lead the business and align the business to deliver for customers and ultimately deliver for for the top line and in some instances the gross margin of of, of, of the business. And and I think that the key operating word there is alignment. And I say this without disrespect to anyone who's who's coming to a CRO role through through that kind of sales pathway. But my own pathway is one, you know, from kind of big telco to, to other CRO to marketing product roles. It requires a heck of a lot of alignment. And I, I, I see countless times I have conversations with friends who who are in sales leadership roles and and there's just so much misalignment between say the sales organization and the marketing organization and the product organization that creates friction that friction manifests as a lack of trust and 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 growth inertia if your if your key responsibility or if your key focus as a as a CRO is sales and and not alignment it's almost like that that expression if you want to go go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you're not going together, you are going to trip over yourself at some point. You might get some initial quick wins, but you are going to trip over yourself. I'm going to repeat that. I want to repeat that because that's so great. I'm going to use this as a quote for this entire episode. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go the distance, go together. That is so true. It's such a great statement and it sums up the entire role. So I want to thank you for saying that. It is absolutely true. And here's the problem. Every CEO wants to go fast. And that's why they hire sales-based CROs because sales-based CROs, their perception is that they're going to get us there fast. They'll get you somewhere fast, yeah, but they may not get you there fast. And I think that's something that we're really trying to emphasize. So appreciate that really great and succinct statement. So I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to make sure we don't lose that moment because it's a really important thing for our, our, the audience to hear is that if you're if you're going to go for a chief revenue officer role and you come from sales and it looks like the role seems to be very sales focused it's likely cuz they want to get somewhere fast yeah absolutely which means you're going to be you're going to you're going to be alone i and i i would i would add to that i i look at my i look at my current ceo's role and i i think about the amount of time he spends on Vision, the amount of time he spends on technology leadership, the amount of time he spends on regulatory, the amount of time he spends on and all technology CEOs are spending now on kind of existential fundraising and and, and like the realities of burn rates and, and, and runways. And and if he was to be the lowest common denominator for alignment in the organization, he would not devote the sufficient amount of time required to get us there. And and if 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 a CEO is listening to this and, and wondering whether they would need a CRO, I would really ask them to question whether they can devote as much time as they need to create that alignment in the organization to deliver 
you know, revenue and 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 customer objectives. And and I think about, I, I actually think the biggest challenge that CROs face, and 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 why CROs probably experience so much turnover is 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 one where they're unable to create alignment within the organization. I, I, I've I've come into organizations before, and I've had product managers say we don't care about revenue. And I've had engineering managers say we don't care about deadlines. And and you know, as 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 a commercial executive, that's in, inherently your your first instinct is, well, there's there's malice in what you're saying. But actually, it's it's it, it's not. It's not. No one in the organization is wants wants to do wrong. They just don't understand the overall direction. And and sometimes the CRO needs to come into a business and needs to break glass. And, and breaking glass could could manifest in a couple of different ways. You you know, there's a there's a fear element or the existential element. You know, as a venture backed startup, the reality is grow or die because we've got a burn rate and a certain amount of runway. And if we don't deliver the growth objectives, we don't get another another cash injection. Or or and or I would say even more importantly is a privileged one. It's we've got a mission that's going to fundamentally change the world, and and we've got investors that trust us enough to invest in us to deliver that, but the way they keep score is revenue, and that's why we need to deliver to that. So, so I would say, as a CRO, if you can't create alignment across all those different parts of the business, you're going to run into things like product managers saying they don't care, care about revenue, and engineering managers saying they don't want to commit to deadlines because they think deadlines are. I was going to swear, but I'm not going to do that because you can because <laughs> they think deadlines are bullshit. And these aren't. This is this this is verbatim. This is not this is not paraphrasing. This is verbatim, right? So I, I would say that. If you're the first CRO in the organization, your first objective is probably going to be to 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 kind of address some of those misconceptions in 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 the business. Because I don't think they're unique. I've been in more than one environment where where product managers have said they don't care about revenue, and engineering managers don't feel like they should be held accountable to timeframes. Yeah, we could confirm that's not unique. This is endemic. This is a disease amongst companies. What you're describing. Yeah. As I listen to you explaining, you know, the the pieces of it, I feel like the ability to understand the language that each department speaks and then be the interpreter for them to understand the revenue language is key. And that's somehow often missed because people don't bother to use the two ears that they have to listen and I'm more worried about using the mouthpiece that they have to speak. And, and I think that's a, a really, really strong message to a prospective CRO or a CEO that's hiring is to really understand the value and the dysfunction of the organization and not just really cater to let's deliver here at the expense of alignment. Yeah. So I, I really love that, yeah. And, and I, I would add, and it's, it's very important to add, and, and again, I, I have to stress this, I say this without criticism to any sales leaders, often the KPIs of sales leaders is, is shorter horizon. It's, 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 it's quarterly. So a sales leader may have the tendency, and, and I saw it with, with, with sales leadership in, in my current organization, a sales leader may have the tendency to focus product on, I just need to deliver for this customer, as opposed to I need to deliver repeatable experiences that customers are prepared to pay for so that it can go the other way as well. It, it can go the other way where you're so focused on the short term that you, you, you forget about kind of predictable, repeatable experiences and, 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 and subsequent revenue growth. So I wanted, I wanted to make that point because if anyone from like a product and engineering background is listening, it's not just about 
kind of sales led growth and delivering for customers. It is about that right, right, no, right balance. I understand completely. And and you're you're spot on here. It's you know, it, I think that and I had a conversation with a CEO today who is right now looking for a chief revenue officer, and we were talking about this conundrum, as it were, this prisoner's dilemma between accomplishing his short-term goals and also managing long-term outcomes. And, you know, one has to come at the expense of the other, which I don't think is true. I think you can do both. But there is this feeling that you do have to give up one for the other. It's very difficult for someone to grasp, not because they're not bright. They're by no means, they're all smarter than I am. But given when they look at their dashboard and what's up against, they're, they're up against from the board. And, you know, like you said already, you know, very well, Sir Ken, you know, like looking for the new round of funding and all the other pressures that come from the board, short-term outcomes are much more satisfactory to the people that matter most to this particular CEO at the moment. And so they're going to service those things, like the squeaky wheel, so to speak. But this is a wheel that never stops squeaking. So unfortunately, it's like you're always going to be delivering those short horizon results, getting a pat on the back, but it's going to come at the expense of your culture, of your customer outcomes, customer lifetime value. And also scaling the business effectively because now you have misaligned, not just misaligned people, but misaligned KPIs and misaligned operational objectives and measurements. So my question to you is, what, what would you do? Let's say you were injected into a company as a chief revenue officer that, you know, like most have these issues. And they said, sir, can we need you to come in and sort of help make more of a cohesive aligned revenue engine here? What are the kind of things and steps that you would take to address this so that you can figure out the way through that? Yeah. The, the, the first thing I would do is before taking the role, I would test the organization organization's capacity for change. I would I would test the CEO, the CFO. I would test the key executives' appetite and capacity for change. How do you do that? Because I wouldn't... Yeah, I, I would present trade-offs. I would present trade-offs like you just described. Like, is it is it short-term revenue growth or is it... Would you be prepared to, to take a 20, 30% cut in your next half if it meant more sustainable, repeatable revenue in the next year? Would you be prepared to do that? So asking these kind of really, really direct questions early, early on, because the next thing I'd say is going into an organization where there's that kind of scale of misalignment and it, and it depends that, you know, it's the storming, forming, norming thing. The storming element does, does involve an element of breaking glass. Like you, you do need to challenge kind of established, established norms. I remember in one environment, I had to bring a board member in and the board member had to articulate the realities of, I invested in this company like this growth capital that I put into the business was for growth. It doesn't mean short-term growth. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the long-term, but it does mean growth. And, and by the way, the money that we invested in, in the business, this isn't, you know, all golf oil money. This is people's pension funds. It's, it's mums and dads who have trusted me to invest in, in you. So, so, so creating a connection between kind of the source of, of in investment is, is really, really important but also articulating and, and, and really bringing it down to a, a vision and a mission that people can get behind and get excited behind as well. Because if we, if we deliver on that, then with the right kind of commercial alignment, we should deliver on revenue at the same time. So, so what if the objectives are, and I've heard this before, I actually had this job where the CEO said, we want to be acquired in two years. Yeah, then then it's a you're you're optimizing for a short term objective and that's fine. I think the the other thing I would say that kind of new CROs should really think about is there are different leadership styles for different business contexts. And we all and I'm I'm very guilty of this, we all inherently adopt the leadership style that we're most comfortable with. Like 
are we, is it a startup or am I accelerating growth or am I setting us up for a sale or am I, you know, am I turning something around or am I, you know, sustaining performance? So, so we've got to recognize the environment that we're going into as well. If, if, if the goal is to sell the business in two years, then I'd be very clear with the team on what that means. And, and everyone from kind of product leadership to engineering leadership to sales and marketing leadership needs to be aware of that. And I, I would suggest that probably off the back of a shorter term objective, like sell, sell the business in two years, is probably going to be a longer term incentive, some sort of earn out, some sort of equity piece. So your your goals are probably still going to be somewhat aligned to, 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 to longer term sustainable growth. But, you know, the truth is always somewhere, somewhere in the middle. But, but it, it, it uh, I don't know if that answers your question, Warren, but it comes down to well, it's a start. So let, let, yeah, let, let's say I look, I'm in agreement. So there's no question you're speaking to the choir here. I, I want to know though. Okay, so let's walk through this. You have this sort of uh, let's say tire kicking conversation, right, where you test the leadership and you pose some questions and scenarios and trade offs, and they they agree. They say, all right, fine. You said you convinced me. You're very persuasive, Sircon. You made a case here. Now, now what? Yeah. Now what is in? Now what do you do? So they give you the green light. Yeah. Like what's the way that now you sort of build out something? So you look at the landscape and you see, you know, the normal silos and infighting and, you know, misalignment and operational disjointed stuff that most companies have. And your job is now you've been given sort of the green light to do something about it. Where do you begin? Like what's the way in which you start to construct a organizational alignment in the way that you're 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 envisioning the first thing i do in every organization is to ask for the metrics that matter i i I go to the product leadership the sales leadership the marketing leadership and i say show me the metrics that matter and one of two things happen they either don't have the metrics that matter or they have different metrics so 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 the 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 starting point is and and you know what we don't measure we don't manage so the starting point is aligning aligning everyone behind the right set of kind of metrics. And if we're delivering for a shorter term outcome, then let's break down what that means at kind of like a, a, a quarterly and a monthly level over the next over the next 24 months. Behind that, I would then begin, begin to, to kind of challenge. And as a CRO, you are invested quite significantly in kind of product product roadmap in, in market positioning as, as well. So I then begin to, 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 to challenge those plans in, in more detail. But, but to, to answer your question, the first thing I do is always always come back to, 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 to those metrics. And, and kind of mission and vision. Are we aligned there? Or, or And if we're not, often there's some sort of kind of breaking moment where we get everyone together and and, and we, we have the difficult conversations and we create that alignment up front. But I, I've never I've never been in an organization where, actually maybe, maybe with the exception of Telstra and, and a large corporate where the trading cadences are more mature, but in, in kind of st- startup or even kind of scale up, I've never seen... I've never seen that create like that complete alignment of how we measure our success. So, do we understand what success is and how do we measure it? So, I I, I always start there. the ne- The next thing I do is I always focus on on team. And again, sales leader versus revenue leader. I think the biggest kind of objective after alignment that that, that a CRO should be focusing on is is creating a world class team, creating creating a world class team, and that 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 means different things to to. To, to to different people. If it's helpful, I can talk a little bit about what what I look for. Yeah, um, please. Yeah, I, I I would I. For me, for me, I look at kind of five 
five principles when I when I think about world-class team. I think of attracting, onboarding, developing, retaining, and I look at the alumni experiences. When it comes to attracting talent, I have a very simple kind of philosophy, and that is to build the smallest, most talent-dense team possible. I'll say it again, build the smallest, most talent-dense team possible. I've been in so many environments where where we go in and we say, okay, are we aligned on success? Are we aligned on metrics? Well, this metric isn't going, no one's focused on this metric. We need to bring in an owner. But the thing we need to recognize is organizational complexity is not linear. And sometimes bringing in more people actually slows you down. If if we change this conversation from three people to four people, that's not adding one more point of engagement. That's adding three more points of engagement. So so the process of alignment is just going to get slower and slower and slower. So, So the first thing I'd say when attracting talent is, I always look at building the smallest, most talent team, that talent dense team team possible. The 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 second thing I look at when when I'm kind of hiring is is I'm hiring for learning agility. And particularly in a in a high growth environment, you know, you often hear conversations like, oh, the team we the team that took us from A to B is not the team that took us from B to C. For me, that's that's a function of we haven't hired for learning agility. So I'm really testing people people's capacity to to learn i'm testing examples of 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 where they where they demonstrate learning in the past often i'm recruiting leaders so i'm testing how they're creating patterns which which accelerate the learning of their entire team so if i'm hiring a sales team a sales leader how are you accelerating the learning of 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 your team or a marketing leader the 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 the, the, the same thing so i really look at kind of learning agility and and i look at leadership agility as well and and and, and leadership leadership style and I, I have a couple of kind of go-to questions which which always really kind of stump my audience when I'm when I'm when I'm recruiting and the first one is kind of who would follow you and who would follow you for me is not about like you know you know it isn't it, for me it's more about can you demonstrate that you have created kind of influence and, and followership that people would follow you that they do desire to be to to, to to work for you in different or partner with you rather in different contexts and the second question is 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 the one that kind of stumps people again is why would people be led by you? And it's it's not something that leaders often kind of articulate or, or even write down, but 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 it, it always creates a bit of silence in the room. And I'm and I, and I and I want individuals to reflect on kind of their leadership styles, and I want individuals that 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 can bring in tenets of I'm not just focused on the capability of individuals. I'm focused on the environment and the climate I, I create. And I'm focused on, on on the clarity I bring to the team as well. I'm focused on an environment where people can come in and do their best work. And we create that by being a little bit vulnerable and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I, I would say align on what success looks like, align on what, what uh, how we measure it, and then align on kind of creating a world-class team and create a world-class team. That's where I would start. They're my, they're my first three. This is the third time I've had the CRO role and each time I follow the same process. I like it. I, th- I, 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 I love the approach of being able to come up with a, a pattern that works, but also have the flexibility to move within that pattern. As, as I think about your current position what I and I know certain enough to understand that culture is a big component of your culture. How what role do you think that plays in in the alignment and success of a CRO? Yeah, certain certain's quite a remarkable organization, and I, I made the observation in my first week that if 
Certum delivered a customer experience as strong as we delivered an employee experience, we would realize every commercial objective we have and more. And I say that coming from the context of having a plus 86 NPS, whereas our key competitors are kind of single digits to negative. So, so, so the employee experience at Certain is so well thought out. And it's so well thought out because there's an ex- employee experience manager and it's documented kind of what happens from, from signing to, to starting to kind of Certain camp in the first week to your first 30 days and all that kind of stuff. So, so the experience at Certain is quite strong. I think, I think all of us come to this realization we come to the realization at different times in our lives. For me, it was kind of, for me, when I had my kids is, is when I really kind of started to realize that I, I don't just have the right, I have the responsibility to be selective on how I spend my time and who I spend it with. And, and you know, some of us have reached that, some of us will reach that, but, but increasingly a, a lot of us are going to be able to be selective around the environments that we, that we, that we work within. And I, like, I, you know, we, we, we went through this kind of experience where we all stayed at home for a year and a half or two years. And it made us rethink kind of what was more valuable to us and what was less valuable to us. And I had this beautiful moment with my wife where she turned to me and she said, you don't need to take that job. I'd live in a tent if it meant we got to spend more time with you. And, and not everyone, you know, can or has the capacity to, 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 to be in that position. But for me, it comes down to having the responsibilities to be selective around how I spend my time and who I spend it with. One of certain policies specifically is no assholes. And I, I think, or assholes, as you say over there, I can think of, you know, so many times in my career, and I'm sure you can as well, that you've, you've had the capacity of, of working in an organization where you've had really, really unpleasant colleagues. And for, 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 for many reasons, they could be malicious or, or when they when they challenge, they play the they play the man and not the ball, or they play the person and not the ball rather. So they so they make it quite personal, or whatever it may be. Um, but 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 I would say you know, I think I think a great culture is so important. And you know, before every employer, uh, before every recruitment in 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 certain, we have a culture interview, and that culture interview is two way. We close the videos, so we're not looking at each other. There's no bias, and it's. It's us understanding the individual's culture and this individual understanding certain's culture at the same time, and and it needs to be a, you know a degree of alignment on both sides. Yeah, I don't know. Did I answer your question, Lupe? You did. You did. No, you did a, a great job. But I think there's some nuggets there we could steal away for a CEO and CR as they're both interviewing or being interviewed. I think culture plays a huge component. You you know you hit the nail on the head with. The fact that I think the last two years have really changed people's perspectives as to what they want and what they're willing to sacrifice in order to, you know, to do the job, to do the the day to day. And that's that's something that a lot of employers are you know becoming aware. And it's and it's challenging right now to find talent and it's challenging to retain talent and being a CRO depends on people and talent and deadlines and and things being being measured so i think now more than ever culture is important yeah absolutely i spoke about world class team earlier and spoke about attracting talent and and talent density and and what i look for when i recruit leaders but one of the important roles of any leader not just any cro is 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 creating an engaged team and like certain is a remote first business and increasingly businesses have a, a degree of 
remote work, be it kind of or remote or, or hybrid or whatever. But but there's a there's a there's an index which I which I which I follow, the Remote Employee Experience Index, and it surveys about eleven thousand professionals in knowledge capital, and knowledge capital means like anyone with uncalloused hands like like me. And it looks at professionals across, you know, the US, Australia, the UK, Japan, Germany. And what they found is that employee employees who have kind of a hybrid remote office work environment have a better work-life balance, are more satisfied with their working great uh, arrangement, are less stressed, are more productive. But the negative, they have a lower sense of belonging. They have a lower sense of belonging. So, so going back to kind of your your point around attracting and, and retaining talent, I know personally as a leader, that's where I invest a lot of my time. And the reason I asked that question of kind of the remote, when 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 does this podcast kind of go to where? Because I'm like, as an example, in the next week, I'm sending the, the partners of all my leaders a, a gift. I'm sending the partners of all my leaders a gift because I know as a remote worker, I don't have corridor conversations with my colleagues. So when I'm angry or when I'm sad or when I just want to vent, I use my wife, Mariam. I tell her what, what what's stressing me today. I also know that I'm kind of required to work on different time zones and I'm required to travel. And and I know that kind of a lot of partners, be they like a, a spouse or a, or a roommate or whatever it may be, take on that burden. So so one kind of initiative I'm championing at the moment is just sending a gift to all partners just to say thanks. Like I know you you play role of kind of counsellor to 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 whomever may be you know said leader at certain i know that they're required to travel and that means compromising on certain things i know that sometimes they take calls at inconvenient times of the day so you're as much a part of the certain community as they are and we just wanted to say thanks so little things like that you you you, you cannot lose sight of because what you're never gonna probably or very rarely see in a remote kind of work environment is a greater sense of belonging than than what you see if ever, everyone was in the office that's brilliant I, I, I like it. And you're right. You're absolutely right. You definitely have your go-to people that you reach out to to discuss frustration and celebrate and, and do all those things. So that's amazing. I think you've given us some great insight. I don't know if we still have Warren. He's a little quiet, so I'm thinking we don't. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I, would, I would encourage more product leaders to put their hand up for CRO. I, I, I'd encourage more product leaders to do that. And, and I'd... I'd encourage sales leaders to 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 kind of really think about that T-shaped skill set and really think about investing in the relationships that they need to to succeed sustainably. Because if we're just thinking about a quarter or two quarters or three quarters of sales growth, well, eventually that's going to translate to a 12-month tenure as a CRO because you weren't able to align the organization behind growth. So focus on what success looks like as a business. Test you know the organization's capacity for change. Focus on aligning around how you measure that success and then create a world-class team. Everything else around tactics below that will follow. And and you, you'll probably have the capacity to execute on the tactics because you were put in that role. But if you don't do those first three or four things, you, you're not setting yourself up for success. You're not setting the organization up for success. I think that's a great note to close on. I thank you for being our guest today. And I look forward to... Uh catching up with you again in the in the future so thanks so much thank you for having me and lupe on a personal level it's so wonderful to connect again and and warren i know we lost him but thank you for the opportunity yeah i've enjoyed it it, it was such a pleasure to kind of get to know you a little bit better i think that was probably my biggest regret <laughs> is missing out on the opportunity and getting to know you and spending time with uh, with andy <laughs>